The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and thank you all for listening with us today. We're very glad that you have joined us here on The Spirit of Recovery, and thank you so much for uh, all that you're sharing with us on Facebook and in your emails, and we're really glad to be hearing from you, and we know that what's happening here on Spirit of Recovery, the guests that we bring are getting you um, excited in some uh, deep deepening ways about your recovery process and about your spiritual growth. And so thank you so much for letting us know about that. Uh, We're glad, too, that you're letting the people uh, in your recovery communities, your friends, people in your unity or other spiritual communities know about uh, Spirit of Recovery. It's just great to be getting the word out. I love the opportunity to broadcast on the topic of recovery here on Unity Online Radio and to know that what we're doing is touching your hearts and minds. We want you to know that you can listen uh, in several different venues. Of course, you can listen uh, here online through your computer. You can also listen on your smartphone, and you can listen to uh, our archives at any time. You can download those at www.unity.fm backslash program, backslash spirit of recovery. We've got lots of great archives. So uh, you can listen to our guests in lots of lots of uh, different venues. We always have great guests that bring you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. The Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place, and so you are welcome here, no matter what your interest is in spirituality or the recovery process. We know that people come from a lot of different um, angles to this recovery concept. So if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're a family member that's in your own recovery as a family member, whether or not your loved one uh, who has the disease of addiction is in recovery, or if you're just curious, interested in what recovery is all about or spirituality of recovery, you're very welcome here and uh, we're, you're glad to uh, have you participating here with us in our discussions. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and also a recovery counselor. I'm, uh, in addition, a person who has, in my own circle of love and friendship, uh, people with the disease of addiction, and those relationships got me started on an active path of recovery as a family member uh, many years ago, and that continues to be an important part of my life. My unity principles and my recovery principles working together uh, keep me growing and uh, keep me expanding my understanding of myself, my higher power, and that relationship. Uh, Again, we're glad you're listening and uh, delighted to have you here with us, and uh, we're interested in what's happening for you in your spirituality and your recovery. Today, we have a fascinating topic, as always. Our topic today is religious addiction or healthy spirituality, how to tell the difference. And my guest uh, here today is Dr. Robert Hemfelt. Dr. Hemfelt is a licensed psychologist and a licensed marriage and family therapist. 
he works with adults and adolescents on relationship issues, and also he has uh, specialties in addictive disorders. Dr. Hemfelt is also an author. He has uh, authored several books um, on spirituality and the recovery process. Um, one in particular that stands out that he has uh, co-authored is called The Serenity Bible, a companion for 12-step recovery. And uh, it is a Bible that he and Dr. Richard Fowler uh, have uh, developed with the, the Bible with uh, commentary that's related to 12-step recovery. So that's uh, certainly an important thing that he's done and certainly related to our topic today. Dr. Hemfelt um, is also a professor, and he has appeared on a variety of uh, media to talk about these issues of spirituality and recovery and has presented seminars and workshops across the country. So welcome, Dr. Hemfelt. We're very glad that you're with us today. Thank you, Anna. It's a delight to be with you. Well, today we are going to be talking about uh, this idea of religious addiction and uh, uh, the idea of, of how, to, how can you tell when, some, when you're involved in a, a, a religious path that's actually taking you down in a negative way as opposed to developing a healthy spirituality. And I know, again, this is something that you have reflected on and written about and talked about and I know work with your uh, clients on. So what is religious addiction? Well, it's, uh, to start with, Anna, a bit of a paradox. Uh, as you well know, 12-step recovery, as originally pioneered by Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith in the 1930s uh, as Alcoholics Anonymous, 12-step recovery is based and keyed around the necessity of having a profound spiritual awakening or renewal. And one could certainly argue, uh, if this spiritual infusion is such a good thing, can there be too much of a good thing? And my short answer to that is, if it's authentic spirituality, uh, I think it's hard to overindulge. However, being human, we are drawn to certain human institutions and human religious practices some of those can be addictive and or dysfunctional, even abusive. So we're, what we're talking about here is the value of authentic spirituality as a keystone for recovery. Uh, it is so important that Bill Wilson, the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, referred to it as his uh, hot flash that he had. Uh, in which he re-encountered God in a new, fresh way and felt that to be the pivot point of his subsequent recovery from very virulent alcoholism. So it's, it's like if, um, that if it's a genuine experience, then it can be helpful, but if there's something about it that's, that's not, then it could take you down a, a poor path. Uh, down potentially a negative pathway. One format that I use to discuss this, and I'll have to acknowledge it uh, is not original for me. I think this was first suggested by the um, former renowned New York City Unity Minister, Eric Butterworth. He talked about a series of what he called the M words that all begin with the letter M, and he talks about how most religions begin with some very important mystery. Um, all of us face the challenge existentially about uh, if I awaken in the morning, why do I bother to get out of bed? Uh, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? What is my direction as life unfolds for me? And... I think if most of us are honest about that, um, some of that remains an ongoing uh, mystery. And that's why it is not uncommon that persons in 12-step recovery long after the addiction is in a state of abeyance or abstinence, they may continue to go to 12-step meetings, 
seeking to spiritually grow and mature. So we start with this core mystery. Is there a part of me that stands in wonder and awe about God's creation around me and who may be uh, the prime mover behind uh, the unfolding of the universe? Is there, to use 12-step language, a power greater than myself toward which I can uh, aspire and that can uh, infuse my recovery with both energy and purpose. One of the challenges, though, is that oftentimes that mystery in the long history of human religions tends to get tied or tagged with a specific man. Uh, You have Gautama Buddha receiving the four profound spiritual truths. Uh, You have Moses receiving the the Ten Commandments. You have the carpenter from Nazareth, uh, the apocalyptic, though obscure, prophet of Jesus. Uh, We have um, Muhammad uh, associated with uh, the development of the Islamic faith. So we begin with this core mystery, something that the uh, 20th century German theologian uh, Rudolf Otto referred to as the numinous. And by that word numinous, he meant there is something that goes beyond simple human logical comprehension, and yet we try to use our logic to uh, reach out to embrace the mystery. So we have the core mystery. Initially, that mystery gets tied to a man, And I'm not being gender biased, uh, uh, unfortunately, in the unfolding of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, the religions themselves have been very patriarchal or male biased. And so we have key men in the history. Now, thankfully, by the grace of God, Today in the 21st century, we are trying to correct that and to recognize that men and women are co-equally spiritually gifted. Uh, in addition to the mystery and the man, oftentimes the man is associated with miracles. Uh, Moses parting the sea, uh, Jesus converting water into wine. Muhammad's midnight flight from Mecca to Jerusalem and his ascent up the seven heavens where he claims to have met uh, Moses, the prophets, uh, and Jesus himself. And then finally, those miracles are woven into another M word, a myth. And let me pause on that word for a moment, Anna, because in our 20th century thinking, Uh, we tend to give negative or pejorative meanings to myth. Uh, If you tell me about a certain event and I say, oh, that's just a myth, from our 21st century journalistic mind, we equate myth to being untrue. In history, myth has been a way of trying to say something is true. It is more than true. It is such an important truth that we elevate it and embellish it through mythical language. Uh, Before we go further into this sequence of how spirituality may evolve or in a negative way devolve into a human religious institution, I would like to share with you and get your commentary, Anna, on a brief interchange between two uh, great 20th century um, spokespersons as apologetics for Christianity. One is William F. Buckley, Jr., who was a devout Catholic. The other man in this discussion is Malcolm Muggeridge. That's probably a name less familiar to American audiences. Malcolm Muggeridge was an avowed atheist, socialist, 
editor of the highly satirical journal in Britain, uh, Punch, late in life, he had a conversion to a walk of faith. And so these two men are probably two of the more eloquent apologists for Christianity out of the 20th century. So for a couple of minutes, let me play a discussion between them in which they are attempting to discuss this word mystery. Uh, How do we embrace and understand the mystery in life itself? So let's uh, begin this discussion, and then I'd be uh, excited to hear your comments. Great. Here we go. Much sustained by by skeptics as a too a too easy way to account for some of uh, the hideous uh, anomalous tortures of history. The Holocaust, to take something on a macrocosmic scale, uh, the six-year-old little girl who dies of leukemia uh, at another scale, isn't it probably the case that such anomalies as these do more to encourage skepticism than than anything in the divine order. I don't think they discourage skepticism. They encourage skepticism. On the contrary, I would say that they they encourage credulity. As a matter of fact, what they do is they present a dilemma to which reason provides no answer. Yeah. And you can only find that answer through what is called mysticism, or indeed through what Blake calls the imagination, which is art. Now, what does Blake mean by the imagination? He meant, putting it in one of my very favorite sayings of his, which he says, you know, because it's so like, very medium we're working in now, he says, they ever must believe a lie who see with not through the eye. He meant by imagination, seeing through the eye into the meaning of things rather than seeing things. How would Blake uh, have seen through to uh, to such a uh, phenomenon as I mentioned, the, the death of a six-year-old child? Because he would see some lines of history, I can't quote exactly from memory, but joy and, joy and were woven fine clothing for the soul divine. But in other words, suffering, affliction, disappointment, all these things are an integral part of the drama of our human existence. Without them, there'd be no drama. Let me tell you a simple, what would be a simple parable, which I've often thought of. Some very humane, rather simple-minded old lady sees the play King Lear performed, and she is outraged that a poor old man should be so humiliated, so made to suffer. And in the eternal shade, she meets Shakespeare. And she says to him, what a brutal thing that was, what a monstrous thing to make that poor old man go through all that. And Shakespeare says, yes, I quite agree, it's very painful. And I could, of course, have a range for him to take a sedative at the end of Act One. But then, ma'am, there would have been no play. Well, the, see my point? Yes, I, I, I see your point. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I'm not sure that King Lear wouldn't have preferred that this should not have been a play than that he should have lived through Acts 2 and 3. But then he would have been a cowardly man, and of course he, he did in fact have to go through that suffering in order to understand why there had to be a play. And of course in that marvelous speech of his, one of my favorite things in all Shakespeare, you know, when he's at Cordelia, he says, we too will go to prison, you know, and take upon the mystery of things. And uh, that's one of my uh, favorite phrases from Shakespeare as well. Come, let us take upon us the mystery of things. Um, any thoughts or comments on that? That's a fabulous uh, clip. We're, it's time for us to go to break right now, but we will be right back, and then we will uh, comment on that. Thank you so much for playing that, Robert. We'll be right Thank back. Thank you.
Unity Online Radio is affiliated with Unity, a nonprofit organization specializing in prayer, publishing, and spiritual education. If you enjoy our programming and would like to support this ministry, go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now to make a contribution. You can make a one-time or recurring monthly donation. Thank you. Do you sometimes feel as though the door to happiness has closed? and there's no other door in sight. In her book, Ask Yourself This, Unity Minister Wendy Craig Purcell reminds us that everything happens for a reason. We've all experienced situations which felt like anything but good. We may have lost our job or gone through a divorce or experienced some other dark night of the soul. Yet those very experiences, when met spiritually, can lead us to a much greater good. The lost job can be what finally motivates us to discover the work that truly feeds our soul. The ending of a marriage can trigger us to do the emotional healing and personal growth work we've been avoiding for years. Every one of us can look back at negative or painful experiences in our lives and say that they turned out to be the best, worst things that ever happened to us. For more insight from Wendy Craig Purcell, read Ask Yourself This from Unity House Books. If you're focused on getting the right answers, Ask Yourself This emphasizes the importance of asking the right questions. Order your copy today at www.unity.org. Unity Online Radio is turning five this year, and we're throwing the biggest bash of all. A cruise to the Caribbean, November 10th through 17th, 2012. We'll celebrate in style aboard Holland America Line's Eurodam, with sunshine, fine dining, and a selection of island excursions at beautiful ports of call in the Eastern Caribbean. Plus, feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation. Your favorite host will be there, and we hope you join us too as we celebrate five years of spiritual programming at Unity Online Radio. For more information, go to www.unity.fm slash cruise. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad that you're listening with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Religious Addiction or Healthy Spirituality, How to Tell the Difference. My guest is Dr. Robert Hemfelt. Dr. Hemfelt is a licensed psychologist and a licensed marriage and family therapist. He also uh, has expertise in the area of addiction recovery and uh, in spirituality. He is an author. He's written several books about spirituality and about the uh, recovery process and about mental health. And he um, also is a co-author of the Serenity Bible, which is uh, the Bible that has commentary in it uh, from a 12-step perspective that's a companion for 12-step recovery. And uh, Dr. Hemfelt is sharing with us from his rich experience as an author, as a speaker, um, as a psychotherapist about what is the difference between an addictive type of religion, which really takes us down and makes us more dependent, and a healthy spirituality. And he's talking with us also about how that will relate to recovering people and how we can uh, integrate our spiritual and religious tradition with the recovery process. But before Dr. Hemfelt and I get back to our conversation, I'd like to ask you to join me in a brief moment of serenity in the Serenity Minute by relaxing and focusing on a constructive idea. So I do invite you to take a breath, to relax, to allow your mind and your heart to open, and if you would, to share with me this constructive idea. I am at peace 
as I experience the empowering presence of God. I am at peace as I experience the empowering presence of God. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And now we're back to our conversation about is it religious addiction or healthy spirituality, how to tell the difference, with my guest, Dr. Robert Hemfelt. And Robert, just before the break, you played us a, a clip of a conversation between uh, two good heavy hitters there, uh, Malcolm Muggeridge, who was an atheist who converted uh, to Christianity through a, a deep spiritual experience, and to uh, William F. Buckley, who uh, had uh, was a lifelong uh, definitely a committed Catholic. They were having a really interesting discussion there about basically about suffering and, um, you know, what what's the point of that. And, and certainly uh, it's pointing to that idea that somehow obviously life contains that which is uh, easy and that which is difficult. It contains the pleasant and the, the suffering and somehow we've got to make sense out of it all. And um, when I was hearing that, I was uh, feeling very grateful that they're having that conversation because sometimes as people that are delving into spirituality, we may have those conversations with ourselves, but sometimes we're too scared to really have them with people. I don't know. Maybe we're afraid that we'll hear stuff we don't want to hear. It's too hard to face the difficulties of life. I don't know. How do you see that conversation and why well, that's important? To go back to our core topic about what can be a dysfunctional, perhaps uh, addictive religious experience, I tend to see Anna. Two extremes. One extreme uh, is that uh, portrait of the human condition uh, that we sometimes experience in the so-called Bible Belt of uh, the South, and where you and I are currently, Dallas, has sometimes been described as the buckle of the Bible Belt. And in that spirit, there can be a sense that uh, all of creation is uh, flawed and fallen and corrupt. That is a, a very out-of-tune extreme. But among New Thought pioneers and seekers of truth, we can go to the opposite extreme. We can swing the pendulum toward the side of um, see no evil, hear no evil, acknowledge no evil. And I think somewhere in the middle is a very important balance. Uh, The poet said there are places in the human heart that do not yet exist. Pain must be that they may be. It's not that we seek or endorse pain, but if I'm going to live an aware, vitalized, energized life, Uh, the fabric of my life has to be woven with both the ecstasy and the challenge. I have uh, sometimes described persons who are perhaps new to metaphysical exploration as becoming metaphysical fundamentalists, where uh, I will not allow myself to acknowledge what Carl Jung called the shadow And according to Jung, um, for every aspect in our conscious mind, there may be a corresponding inverse of that, kind of an old-fashioned photographic negative, where there is a dark or challenging side behind it. And Jung felt that um, probably the goal of spiritual and psychological maturity was for a person to be able to acknowledge the positive, acknowledge its darker shadow component, and then to, in the words of Joseph Campbell, the great American mythologist, he said we attempt to lean into the light. So we're certainly trying to affirm the light, but I have to acknowledge the dark side as well. We talked about religion starting with a mystery. Um, We said that oftentimes that then is associated with a key man. Miracles are attributed to this man. 
myth grows around man and miracles, that man, myth, and miracle oftentimes are passed down through oral tradition and then at some point encoded into written manuscripts to pick up a fifth M word here. We have the Jewish Torah. We have the Christian New Testament. Uh, we have the Koran for Islamic belief. In these manuscripts, uh, the original authors understood the importance of myth. Uh, mythical truth can be sometimes more profound than so-called journalistic factual truth. One problem we encounter centuries after the manuscripts had been compiled is if I go back to the manuscript and attempt to read it like the uh, New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, I may do a terrible disservice to the manuscript. Uh, Joseph Campbell has cautioned, if we take a metaphor or a symbol like the cross or the Star of David and concretize it, try to make it concrete, we almost destroy the essence of the symbol or the metaphor. We also have to be very cautious about the manuscripts. Um, we sometimes look at the so-called Old Testament and assume that this was downloaded in one cosmic event as a final manuscript. In reality, the Old Testament was compiled over hundreds of years and through a technique called form criticism, uh, modern scholars have identified there were at least core, uh, four core schools of writers called J, P, E, and D. And not only did they make modifications to the manuscript, but what we assume to be the first part of the Old Testament, uh, Genesis and the stories of creation, uh, some of those were significantly revised hundreds of years into the unfolding and the evolution of the Old Testament. All of that is simply a way of issuing a word of caution that when I read the Old or New Testament, uh, it's important not to read it as a blow-by-blow -blow factual history book. Uh, it is a set of manuscripts which attempt to elevate the man, the myth, and the miracles. Well, unfortunately, for better or worse, most religions eventually devolve further into a movement. We know in the history of Christianity that probably in the first century people met in small groups, in homes, shared what fragments of scripture and oral tradition that were available to them. Over time, several hundred years, that movement turned into our next M word, a machine. And probably for Christianity, we would date this in the 4th century uh, and 5th century with the meeting of the council at Nicaea. This was at a time in the history of the Roman Empire where the empire was almost split in two by revolution. And Constantine was attempting to unify the Roman Empire, and he saw Christianity as a state religion as one tool for that unification. Subsequently, we had the Council of Nicaea, and at that time, in a more formal way, certain books were viewed to be canon or proper books of the New Testament. Other books were excluded. Well, as the movement turns into a machine with further evolution, that machine can be, and these are my words, not the Eric Butterworth's, that machine can turn into our final stopping place in this devolution process, 
it's what I call a moribund monument. And we know that when Christianity devolves down to this level, usually there is some strong pushback. Uh, we had Martin Luther uh, around the age of reason, uh, you know, posting his objections to Roman Catholicism on a church door, and from there came an effort to reform, uh, return Christianity back to its roots. Today, in any major metropolitan area, you can drive the streets, look at churches, and it's not uncommon to see a church of such and such denomination, and then the modifier attached to it is the Reformed Church. So we uh, constantly, almost instinctually, are trying to get back to, all the way back to the first of these eight M words, the mystery. What is the essence of the mystery? Uh, there was a Jewish philosopher uh, in the first century, contemporary to Jesus, Philo, and uh, writing in quite eloquent uh, Greek, he talked about the difference between what he called the usia, the essence of God, which he said is rationally unknowable. We can apprehend it, but we can't comprehend it. And then he said there are the energii, the energies, the manifestations of God, which we can see. Uh, and we have to be careful to distinguish which is which. Am I talking about the usia, the essence, and or am I talking about the energii, the manifestations of God or the higher power? And even insurance companies recognize that. They will <laughs> sometimes have disclaimers in their policies, either saying they do or don't cover uh, acts of God, uh, things beyond human design. So we start with mystery. We can devolve all the way down to a moribund monument. And in Christianity, um, sometimes people will ask, uh, well, what, what is the monument? And this is no attack against Catholicism, but if, if you want a literal monument, we can turn to the Vatican and Rome, which is a magnificent uh, stone monument, and for many hundreds of years was uh, the greatest center of political, economic, and even military strength um, in the Western world. When Bill Wilson tried to formulate the 12 steps, he, it was very important to him that people be in touch with the mystery of transformation. I can have what seems to be an intractable addiction, like alcoholism, be spiritually transformed, transmuted, and come out the other side as a recovering person. And so Bill Wilson, in the writing of the 12 Steps, went out of his way to say God as I understand him, or God as a higher power, recognizing that there are many different pathways to the same Godhead. And each of us has to find that individual pathway in recovery that works for him or her. So uh, it's fascinating what you're talking about that is finding that essence of God as opposed to uh, what you're referring to maybe as the energies or the outer manifestations of God it, and how you're tying that in. It seems like what I'm thinking what you're saying here is that what we, maybe we get confused about that. And that's what creates that moribund, moribund uh, monument, in a sense. And we go chasing after the monument and the outer expression, and we forget about the essence. Yes. Uh, in fact, just to take it down to something very practical, um, it's not universal, but I have seen even in the lifespan of a, say, a single Protestant church in late 20th, early 21st century America, 
oftentimes the church begins in someone's home, um, moves to a local school auditorium that they borrow. Then they launch um, the dreaded words, uh, a building fund, and there is suddenly pursuit of a monument for uh, us to house the worship. And there can be good outcomes with that, but I certainly have seen churches and heard complaints from church members that uh, the church seems to be more interested in fundraising than soul-saving, if we can uh, use those uh, trite expressions. So I think constantly in our own recovery journeys, when I face my addiction as a psychologist, uh, I have no hesitation in saying that when we are dealing with addiction, uh, there are two things that don't work. One is logic. Uh, I can have uh, a good grasp of the logical dynamics of addiction and not be able to stop my own addictive processes. Okay. Uh, Let's take, call thing. that thought right there. It's time for our break, but that's a great thought. We'll be right back, listeners, and we'll hear what this is, this great thought. We'll be right back. Your intuition always knows best, but can you hear that still small voice? Spend a powerful weekend with Sonia Choquette at Unity Village and discover that place within you that just knows. Then use this connection to spirit to feel creative and inspired, and most importantly, to fuel authentic action in your life. Join us for The Power of Your Spirit with Sonia Choquette, August 24th and 25th. For details or to register, call 1-866-348-6489 or visit unityvillage.org forward slash Sonia. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you're listening with us today. If you're just joining us, our topic is Religious Addiction or Healthy Spirituality, How to Tell the Difference. And my guest is Dr. Robert Hemfelt. Dr. Hemfelt is a licensed psychologist and licensed marriage and family therapist. He has expertise in the area of relationships and also in the spirituality of recovery. And he is an author and a speaker and presents workshops throughout the United States. And um, he's uh, sharing some very interesting ideas uh, with us about the spirituality of recovery. So, Robert, right before the break, you were talking with us about addiction and what doesn't work in terms of, of recovery, the recovery process uh, when we're recovering from any kind of an addiction in terms of having that transformative uh, spiritual experience and what does work. So you said logic doesn't work. You can't explain your disease away. What else doesn't work and what does work? Well, a human logic, that straight syllogistic comprehension, doesn't work. In fact, um, I don't know how much of this is factual and how much is mythical, but Bill Wilson himself recounted a story that before the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous, he had pursued recovery through uh, an evangelical missionary group called 
the Oxford Group, and he was attending meetings of the Oxford Group in New York City, and he tells the story of one day um, taking the subway, getting off the subway, heading to the Oxford Group meeting, stopped in at a restaurant to grab a sandwich and a glass of milk. He sat down at the bar next to a man, began telling this man about his um, horrific experiences with uh, alcoholism, how it had utterly devastated his life, and that he could not take even a single drink with safety. And much to the horror uh, of this man, at the end of this uh, brief biographical presentation, Bill Wilson turned to the bartender and ordered an alcoholic drink. Well, obviously, logically, that makes no sense. So we know logic alone doesn't work. The second thing that doesn't work is human willpower. Uh, I can be a very willful, tenacious, stubborn, powerful human being in, uh, in many different dimensions. If it's me up against my addiction without the aid of a higher power, invariably the addiction will trump my willpower. So we need something that goes beyond logic and human willpower. That is what Bill Wilson called the higher power. Is there some way in which my spirit is renewed and revived, and from that spiritual renewal, can I begin to one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time, abstain from the former addictive experience. Now, unfortunately, um, in human institutions that we call the church, we can become addicted to, uh, just to throw out an example, say a very charismatic minister, uh, we saw this tragically two decades ago in California when Jim Jones uh, founded the People's Church. And at first it seemed to start out with good uh, intentions and aspirations. It was a diverse community. People were being helped by the church. But it came to be more and more narrowly focused around the charisma of Jim Jones himself. There were allegations of sexual abuse, and probably as a way of avoiding prison, Jim Jones literally moved himself and about a thousand members of the People's Church to a small South American country, formed a new community called Jonestown, and as most people know, that had a very tragic resolution. Uh, a U.S. congressman flew down to investigate allegations that Jim Jones was abusing his power as a church leader. The congressman was assassinated. Jim Jones then directed his followers, 900-plus, uh, to stand in line and drink uh, arsenic-laced Kool-Aid. And in one hour, over 900 people died uh, at the instruction and the guidance of this one man, Jim Jones. Now, obviously, that is a, an extreme situation, but we have certainly seen other um, experiences where a very charismatic, influential pastor may financially, um, politically, sexually, in other ways, exploit the faith, and the trust of church members. So what can a person uh, do in recovery when you're, you want to develop a healthy spirituality, you want to experience that higher power in your life and the power of that, but you don't want to get caught up in that kind of a negativity or, you know, dependent on some outer thing? How do you do that? Well, uh, I think the short answer to that is one adverb, carefully. <laughs> uh, I, I wish I could give you a more precise formula, but I think um, we have to have one foot grounded in human practicality. Most of us do not have a fulfilling spiritual experience in a vacuum. 
uh, as made by God, we seem to be very social creatures. In Christianity, we refer to this as the body of Christ, that we are all cells in the body, and uh, even Paul went out of his way to, to, to emphasize it takes all the different cells to form the body. And I think any time uh, one person in a church, it can be a minister or even a lay leader, begins to dictate certain aspects of lifestyle or assume disproportionate power in the lives of church members, that's a, a red flag. The other foot, we have one foot planted in the church because we need community. But the other foot, we, we are constantly or should be constantly trying to stretch back to this very important M word again, mystery. What is the mystery? And I mean that in the very positive sense of the word. What is intriguing, fascinating, unknown toward which I stretch and reach? In fact, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, Bill Wilson has one chapter that intriguingly is entitled, We Agnostics. And when you stop and think about that title, it's a rather provocative title because it doesn't say to those who may be agnostic or to the small minority who are agnostic, he says, we agnostics. And what he means by that is if I have been down the road of addiction, Addiction by its very nature, whether it's to gambling, to sex, to a chemical, to alcohol, tends to be soul-crushing. And so in that chapter entitled We Agnostics, he is basically saying that all of us need either a new spiritual walk or at least a renewed spiritual walk if I'm going to be successful in recovery. And in that chapter, I can't quote him verbatim, but Bill Wilson has a very eloquent description. He talks about the fact that uh, reason and logic will carry us a very, very far distance into spiritual faith. But then Bill Wilson says, invariably, there is a jumping off point. There is an end point to logic. Uh, a famous uh, Age of Reason philosopher uh, wrote the critique of pure reason, and he said, yes, same thing. Reason will take us to a certain point, but instead of that point being a destination, it is a point of embarkation. I then have to make what we call the leap of faith. And uh, I caution people in recovery that as important as it is to take the leap of faith, it's equally important to acknowledge just that. It is a leap and it is a step in faith. And as such, it needs to be open to correction, modification, new direction as I continue to unfold my recovery journey. At some point, if my picture, concept, comprehension of God becomes fixed and static and rigid, this moribund monument that we talked about earlier, that's a warning signal uh, that, again, even my recovery may be reaching a point of, at best, staleness, at worst, uh, a kind of uh, disengagement that no longer serves me in the recovery journey. So I think um, I, I've said to many of my patients, if we are lucky, we go through several birthing processes. There is our physical birth at the beginning of our lifespan. There is a spiritual birth or rebirth if I embrace a walk of faith, be it Judaism, Christianity, Islam. And then I add, if we are fortunate, there will be a series of additional rebirths beyond that where I have to renew, update, 
add freshness to my spiritual experience. So uh, we're almost at the end of our time here, but it sounds like you're telling us that uh, with spirituality, we've got to uh, keep on being willing to grow and also be willing to test our spiritual experience against our everyday experience and find that place where they're balanced and, and in harmony. Absolutely, um, Anna. It's, it's so important that this be an enriched and renewed experience over and over again. Uh, just to give you a quick scope of history, uh, there was a 19th century German theologian, uh, Rudolf Schmidt, and Schmidt um, was the first one to postulate that during the uh, Paleolithic period, the so-called cave person period of our history, there was probably a primitive early monotheism. Later, in the areas of Mesopotamia, that changed to a god and goddess vision of the Godhead. And so we have Isis and uh, Osiris in Egypt. In Canaan, uh, the birthplace of Judaism and Christianity, we had Baal and Anat, God and goddess. Um, Even in Christianity, um, we don't tend to think of Christianity as a goddess religion, but in the Catholic Church, the reverence for Mary uh, almost and so, my friends, we are, on this note, we've got to go. Unfortunately, our time is up. So I want to thank uh, Dr. Robert Hemfelt for being with us and talking with us about religious addiction and healthy spirituality. Have a great weekend. Join us next week. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Starting a business is a leap of faith. Growing a business is an act of courage. Staying true to your calling while navigating the challenges of business ownership is nothing short of a miracle. Whether you're a lifelong entrepreneur or you're just now getting the itch to hang up your shingle, the Spiritual Entrepreneur will help you create miracles in your business. Hosted by spiritual mentor and business coach Mindy Odlin, you'll learn spiritually focused business strategies to help you experience prosperity from the inside out. Mark your calendar and join Mindy live every Monday at 5 p.m. Central for The Spiritual Entrepreneur, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Your friends at Unity invite you to reflect on these words from Reverend Jim Rosemurgy. Pause and take a deep breath. When you are ready, affirm silently to yourself. Sweet, sweet spirit, I desire a closer walk with you. Show me the way. I am listening. Take time now in the silence to get in touch with the spiritual guidance within you. Have faith that your next step, your unfolding, your spiritual growth is coming to you in divine order through your spiritual instinct or your spiritual knowingness. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Do you think you know all you want to know about the characters in the Bible? Do you know who could be called the king who loved too much? Or what it means to be a Jezebel? 
or that the best love story in the Bible begins with the declared commitment of two women. The Bible's symbolic meaning can help you transform your life and discover the presence and power of God within you. Find out what these characters can teach you about your own life today by tuning into Biblical Power for Your Life. Each week, co-hosts Rev. Karen Tudor and E.J. Niles present a Bible character from a historical, cultural, psychological, and symbolic perspective. Your comments and questions are part of this lively discussion. Tune in every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and power up your life only at Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm. 